Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanized Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. This is Humanized Workforce Future You podcast. I'm Steve Barlow. As always, I'm joined by the lovely Craig Saffin. So welcome, Craig. You're looking particularly radiant today. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's a lovely sunny day here in Sydney. And um, I've got two things that are, are pertain to this uh, podcast. I heard a um, heard a product a property specialist yesterday say that only 50% of people have returned to the office in Sydney. And uh, he used the phrase, he said, it's a bit hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Mm. Um, and uh, one one thing that uh, contradicted that is that uh, Elon Musk came out last night and said, if people want to work for Twitter, they've got to come into the office and work. So um, it's a little bit confusing what's going on in the in the humanising of work at the moment. Right. So, um, right. yeah. Yeah. Who's our guest today, Steve? Today we've got Kerry Sheaves. So welcome, Kerry. It's good to have you on our podcast. Thank you. So Kerry's from uh, the Hills area in Sydney. Uh, Kerry, do you want to just sort of give us a bit of a heads up as to your background and the kind of work you do? Sure. Uh, so there's lots of different roles that I play, but my background, I started my career a long time ago now. Uh, I won't show my age, but uh, a good 20-odd years ago in large corporations, so working for the likes of big insurance, your telecommunications companies, and then into professional services with one of the uh, big accounting firms. But I'm not an accountant by any stretch of the imagination. Um, my background's very much always been about um, the process of business. How do you solve problems and, and how do you um, take ideas and turn them into reality? So I um, left the big corporate space about 15 years ago, started a small business um, consulting firm in the northwest area of Sydney and specialising in helping micro businesses and small businesses essentially take their ideas and develop them into real offerings that are profitable businesses, as well as really just understand how to be a great business owner and enjoy that business as a part of that process because it's often an extension of themselves. Um, I've been operating my business for the last 13 years. That's foundational business. And we're now really a small business solutions company because we do a lot of connection to all sorts of expert services as a part of that offering. But I've uh, been part of local networks with the business community for the last 10 years and nine of those have been with Sydney Hills Business Chamber and I've been serving as the chairman of Sydney Hills Business Chamber for the last couple of years, which was a very interesting process during COVID, of course. Um, that's one of the largest business chambers in New South Wales with 400 members and over the last few years there's been a lot of change and we, we had a lot of businesses who were in a lot of pain over that period of time, which was a unique opportunity to be able to support them. So I've kind of got fingers in all sorts of pies, but I love it that way. Mm. Wow, that's a, that's a fantastic um, resume you've got uh, going there, Kerry. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, your, your experience in the telcos and the insurance companies, I bet you've seen a lot of change there. They they tend to be in the news a lot uh, these days, don't they? Especially insurance, that's for sure. So Absolutely. They've all been industries which have seen a huge amount of growth, but a huge amount of change, particularly around legislation and, yeah. and um, increase in costs, uh, as well as you know big 
big change in turnover of the way that they work as well from a staffing model point of view. Yeah, the, uh, the the compliance issues and the regulations have got um, a lot tougher, haven't they? And uh, I was talking to someone yesterday about the difficulty of insurance and the fact that premiums have doubled year on year and stuff like that. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Yep, absolutely. So so uh, you said earlier in your introduction, and thank you, it was a lovely introduction. So the process of business solving, the process of business is what interests you and also as part of that solving problems. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you go about that? Well, I think no matter what size business you are, you have a plethora of challenges and they're not, they're never one at a time. And mm. so because they're always an accumulation and they often get, you know, left for too long, they, they, the root cause either gets hidden or just simply not looked at. And so we sort of, we tinker around the edges and we try and make a few little minor changes, mm. but there's fundamental foundations which are often not laid and we're building on, you know, crumbling sand or they're just not being addressed and they continue to undermine and, and create problems at the other end. So, you know, most businesses don't have time to stop and think about yeah. what is actually going wrong. Um, I use the analogy that sometimes you've got to lift the hood on the bonnet and have a look at the engine and yeah. quite frequently instead of an engine, it's essentially a lawnmower. It's <laughs> you know, under the, the hood, but it all looks beautiful on the outside. But the people mm. working in the business know that it's not what it should be. And, and there's a lot of anxiety that comes from that. Um, and I don't care whether you're the CEO of a major corporation or you're the you know, managing director and founder of a one-man band, and a, you know, one man van and a band, you know, operation, you basically have the same problem. You're often not dealing with all of those fundamentals properly and they stop you from growing. That's the, the yeah. point. Yeah, uh, uh, entrepreneurs are amazing people, aren't they? They're very smart, but uh, they they know what they know, don't they? They don't know the other stuff. So yeah, and you know what? We we tend to work with people when they get to the end of themselves, and, and that's yes. a really important position. It's we talk about it in cycles of maturity. So instead yes. of saying, "Well, how? What's your turnover? How many people?" Yes. Um, that's not litmus test. It's actually yes. your stages of maturity about how open you are to get help from people who really know what they're doing mm. instead of pretending you know everything, and but also what you're willing to invest. And, and there's those different tipping points of maturity about the way you think and invest in your business and its future, whether it's, you know, week to week, hand to mouth, or whether we're saying, well, where would we like to be in two years and what would that look like if we have to invest in that? And often that means reaching out well beyond your own capabilities to mm. find the right resources and tools and things that will help you to go to that next stage of the journey. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why do you think it is that a lot of those uh, small business people uh, who are incredibly smart and high energy, uh, entrepreneurial, why do you think they don't necessarily have that two to five year outlook? Or I heard what you said that you just asked the question, you know, but they don't seem to have the um, the vision or the end end game in mind. Is that right? Well, I think that's one aspect, but. Mm. What I find and the way I, I describe it is that successful entrepreneurs need to have equal parts arrogance and equal parts humility. <laughs> and it, it is a very fine balancing act because yeah. you've got to have enough arrogance to believe that what you have yes. and what you can do is is worthwhile pursuing every day and that there's a market for it and it's what gets you out of bed mm. every morning and, and to do the hard yards as you, you build and grow mm. and to push yourself out of your comfort zone. But the humility aspect is absolutely essential because that's about realising you have no idea what you're doing and you're not going to pretend that you know everything and that you're yeah. actually going to get help from people who do. Right. And what we find is that people in that 
first few stages of their development, their maturity, have too much arrogance and not enough humility or they have too much humility and not enough arrogance. And so they fail because they they don't reach out, they they don't think they could learn or be what they need to be um, or they don't think they need to know and what they know is enough to cover everything and, of course, it's not, it never is. Um, So that working on those equal parts is actually what makes someone quite successful no matter what their product or their their business is. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. The the balance between hubris and um and uh, arrogance, right? It's uh both are needed and uh, but in equal balance. So so uh, what 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 do you think about uh trust in that equation? Um how is it, some of the people I've worked with they um they have a lot of trouble trusting. Do you find that as well? Um I would say that's true. But I think that comes from having a scarcity rather than an abundance mentality. Mm. Um, you know, if you're always worried about your com- competition, you're looking left to right, then you mm. generally won't trust, first of all, the process that, you know, you're going to have some fits and starts and there's going to be challenges. And, and, yes, the guy down the road may do exactly the same thing you do. And I, I've always used the example that, you know, we do business consulting and yes. there are probably a 100 potential business coaches, consultants, you know, some sort of advisory services in just our local government area alone. Mm. But there's 26,000 businesses in the Hills region. Mm. Now, there's no way that all of those coaches, consultants, advisors could possibly provide all the services needed for 26. Now, that's just one local government area. If you times that by the 2 million businesses (laughs) who would actually be potential customers, there's plenty of work. So the first issue we find for people is they've got to stop being competitive and yeah. start being collaborative in their approach and recognise they've got something good, work on what you've got. I think the trust issue comes from thinking that someone's always going to try and do you over and it's hard because entrepreneurs are naturally optimistic people. They yes. tend to believe the best and hope for the best. Yes. Um the way that I try and help them think about changing their attitude to that is expect the worst, hope for the best, so that they're mitigating risk. They're not mm. being foolish in their process. They they get contracts. They, they, they make sure that people are doing what needs to be done to protect them, but they still keep that optimism, that hope that people will do the right thing. And, and if mm. they don't, not to be completely discouraged and, you know, then shut, put the shutters down and say, right, we can't trust anyone. You, you know, you have to trust somebody in this. It's, yeah, it's sure. your home, do your homework. That's, I mean, that's the best you can do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's you. That's you've got some amazing insights. Thank you. So can I can I ask you about um, talent in uh, in Western Sydney because um, that's I think where you're uh, focused and. Um, the the what what are people doing the business owners doing differently now than they were say two or three years ago um in trying to recruit and retain uh, the talent that's in the market so I, I think you know when we're talking about recruiting versus retaining um yes. it's recruiting is really hard um you know in our region in in the northwest of sydney we're running at minus one percent you know from a yeah, unemployment rate Right. There are way more Not jobs explained. available than there are people. And wow. 
So it is really, really hard to find talent. And what we're seeing happen across lots of different types of businesses, and it's not one industry, all of the industries are affected, is they're really starting to think outside the box. I mean, this is not just go to the recruiter, see if you can find someone, put a seek ad out and hope for the best. Uh, I've got businesses who are telling us through our, our chamber network that they're getting onto things like the local Hills District Dads and Mums pages and putting it out there to say, wow. hey, would you like to come and work for us? Now, these are not just admin jobs. These are actually like finance jobs and, and you know, skilled labour, not just, you know, I've just popped out of uni or I've just popped, you know, back into the workforce after, you know, 10 years of having children or something. So <laughs> they're really going everywhere now. They're trying everything to find the right people. Right. Um, if I if I go back six months ago, um, people were to retain staff or even to acquire them were throwing crazy money at people and whatever benefits, yes, you can work from home, you can do whatever you like just to give fill a seat because nice. they were so in, inundated with work. We're, we're booming in this region. I think yeah. Western yeah. Sydney in general is booming. Yeah. But there's just too much work and not enough people to do it. Um, I, I can you know like it to uh, my son who's 19 He's working in hospitality and he started working in hospitality straight out of high school last year with a, a local club uh, that's quite a large employer. And they were giving away cars to incentivize people to come and work for them. They just simply cannot meet demand. They still are not operating at full capacity. It's a perpetual cycle. So from an acquisition point of view, they're really looking outside of the square here. Um, Retention-wise, very similar that they were essentially throwing more money um, you know unlimited benefits from the point of view of flexibility we're definitely seeing that change though what we're starting to see is that's not actually attracting quality yeah because it's it hasn't yielded any loyalty really yeah. for whether that's from a new employee or a employee that's been there for a longer period of time um and it's really not solve the problem because they'll stay for three or four months. They're unproductive because they haven't had to work for it to get the job. There was no competition to get the job. Yeah, sure. And, and businesses having to let people go who are just bad recruits, but it's cost them a fortune. To, yeah, to of course. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So they're starting to be a little bit shrewder about how they're employing because even if they're short-staffed, it's a better that situation than putting a lot of time and energy money into training and only to get the same result essentially to what they have today with no staff mm. yes uh very fascinating a, a lot of uh it's very easy to throw money at people isn't it and um cars even that's pretty cool but yeah. uh and uh and even uh the foos the old foosball table or whatever in the in the in the canteen or whatever but but uh actually it comes down to leadership i think is it has a are they is it ever circling around to looking at how the leaders because people like to work for good leaders and be part of an organization that's got a bit of a journey that they want to go on is that right it's still true um the retention issue yeah really has a lot to do with good management and good leadership and that's a real challenge because if you've seen a mass exodus of that management layer who've shifted and, and especially if you've in an industry which has been significantly affected by COVID and um, our overseas workers exiting from those positions, then it becomes quite difficult then to make sure that your leaders are actually then cultivating a workforce that's happy. And especially with younger employees, um, they just won't stay around. If they're not happy, if they don't feel like they're being valued, if they don't feel like they're being heard, 
they just leave and they can go down the street and get another job. They don't care. And they don't care if it's a part-time job, a couple of different contracts, you know, casual here, casual there. They, they're they not looking for the one silver bullet job anymore. They're happy yeah. to have a variety. Yeah. And that's a little different from our sort of Gen Xs and our older generations who sort of did one job, didn't want to have to do two if they didn't have right. to financially. That's really not a factor for our, you know, our 20-year-olds. No, it's interesting you hearing you say that uh, Gen X is an older generation now. So, but anyhow, um, I know I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so on that point, then uh, my, my understanding is the young people, like you were just referring to, twenty year olds, they want to be developed, right? And they want to have a career at some point, but they need that leadership piece. Where is this uh, burden of training landing? Is it landing with the individual for this future you person that we're developing, or is it? landing with the organisation or is it with the training organisations and the government? I think it's a bit of a combination. The, mm. the first first per, you know, piece of the puzzle is the willingness of that employee to engage in training because you yeah. can offer as much as you like, whether they will actually engage in it and, and see it as important is a whole other thing altogether. And yeah. there was an interesting conversation at a meeting I went to with a bunch of corporates earlier this week and we were talking about the return back to the uh, office and, and trying to get staff to come in. And, and one of the, the businesses raised that they've actually insisted that all of their young recruits need to be in the office most of the week. And the main reason why is because that ability to rub shoulders with other more experienced employees, yeah. people who can make or break whether you actually have a career or not, is absolutely fundamental in that environment. Yes. You can't get it on Zooming in for the, you know, or on Teams for the week. And it's actually career limiting if you don't engage in that kind of organic training versus oh, I'm going to attend a course. So, mm. I, but they're seeing resistance in that because those young people say, well, what do I need to do that for? I'm, I'm, I'm productive. I'm at, I'm at home. I'm doing well. Yeah. But there's a really important transfer of wisdom and experience and connections the network that they create which is all part of that training and development experience which they miss out on if they're unwilling to engage in that Um, from a business point of view it's the business's responsibility i think to articulate why those things are important because if it's just we need you to do this course or we need you to do that for our younger generations, they want to understand why. What's what's the purpose of this? Why should I invest or engage in this? Not so much what am I going to get out of it, but mm. why does it matter? Mm. Where, where is it in the scheme of a, a longer journey for me? Um, when it comes to the training organisations, in all honesty, they're lagging. The way that they deliver is still you know, back in the 1990s. You know, we're <laughs> all going to sit there for an entire day and be preached at and there's going to be workbooks. It It's just not how people consume information anymore. I refuse to go to training sessions myself, and I, I've, there's lots of things I'd like to attend, mm. but I just don't have the time to sit there for, an, you know, a, a full-year course doing something that I yes. know I can probably learn through a YouTube video yes. in about 10 minutes or come on a podcast like this, and that's how yes. people are consuming. So the, I think the training organisations who are understanding that and are actually providing those offerings to companies to enable their workforce are the ones that are going to win at the end. Yeah. If they're not taking responsibility for understanding the shift in the way that people are consuming information and learning, mm. then it's really hard for a business to get any value from that process. And then it's very hard to get 
employees to be willing to engage and, and develop themselves in it. Yeah, how fascinating! I, I know. I'm, I'm sure Steve will have a perspective on the learning environment because he's um, he's an educator himself. But um, I, I think that um, the, you know the concept of learner centred learner centred uh, programs is uh, something that's not new. And uh, but you're right; a lot of organisations haven't caught on to that yet, have they? So, so um, well, part of the you. problem I think is the government actually incentivizes and funds programs which are actually counterproductive to that. <laughs> Because they say you have to have X bums on seats, you yeah. know, so many times, uh, you know, to for, to meet a requirement. Yeah, the KPIs are outdated. The KPIs they? are outdated. And that doesn't, like, we see it in the not-for-profit industry, we see it in the for-profit <laughs> industry. It's way yeah. out of context of the realities of the way things are today, which so is unfair Kerry, then. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Look, Kerry, I'm just going to ask you one more question because I'm eager to know from, from, your, from, from your executive role. Um, Sorry, that's a rookie error there. Um, I, from your executive role on the Hills Chamber, uh, can you um, can you tell us what the mood is amongst businesses and what the uh, key issues they're discussing um, uh, in the forums that you're conducting? Yeah, sure. Look, the mood across the business community is positive, cautiously mm. positive. The, okay. the, probably one of the things that people are nervous about is the potential change of government. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not so much because it's going to be a detrimental thing. Um, I don't think they care either way because they don't have any genuine hopes that it's going to make any difference to their lives because most businesses just get on with it regardless of the political environment. But probably more that um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, changing of stationery for six months potentially no matter who gets in and that means nothing really gets done. So anything that's really important that needs to go through will just sit there and Oh, you're talking about state government, right? Yeah, because we just had government. a federal government change. Yeah, okay, the state Correct. government. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. New so, South Wales, yeah. so that's sort of something where, you know, mm. some businesses are saying, well, look, you know, that it's just a bit of a an annoyance more than anything else. Yeah, um, sure. There's, you know, the big issues that they're talking about at the moment, of course, are around jobs and recruitment. Yes. The other issue, and, of course, that comes up with any of the IR changes, yeah. that's a big issue for small business. I mean, yeah. it, it is incredibly negative for small businesses in most sectors and in others it's actually really good like the childcare sector are saying this is actually really good for us yeah sure but most other organizations saying this is not going to be a good thing mm. um the other thing which is a really big um issue is affordable space to do business so oh. commercial office space yep. um, across western sydney is lacking and partly that's to do with you know, covid stopping a lot of the development that's happened, huge bottlenecks in the planning departments of councils and other areas um, and also then being able to fund that. But I think the number one problem for all businesses right now is uh, the rising cost of doing business and wow, yeah. shrinking margins. Um, unfortunately, consumers, there's still a lot of cash in savings for people. So yes. at the consumer end, they um, are refusing to accept price changes but at the business end, particularly in the small business sector, but certainly still even in the medium business sector who do business with larger business, uh, trying to pass on just your basic price increases just to cover your 20% increase of your own costs every day is really difficult to do because there's still this push and pressure on them to keep their pricing down, mm -hmm. uh, but it's unsustainable. And that's really been going on for at least 12 months, but the last couple of months it's probably the number one concern that most businesses yeah. have is how will we actually afford to do business? And it's certainly impacting their ability to um, recruit good talent. Yeah. 
there's there's good talent out there, but if one of your major overheads is people, you know, people, yeah, yeah, and you, you know if you bring people into your business today and they don't perform and help you to grow a business or they don't deliver at all, you can't get rid of them. So yeah. there's quite a few businesses who are refusing to employ permanently and have deliberately chosen to only use contract or casual workforces because they just simply can't wear the risk of that overhead in their business in the next two years. Thank you very much for your uh, insights. Uh, fascinating. Thanks. Steve, you want to uh, pull this together for us, please? Yeah. Okay. So um, <clears throat> what I really heard you talking about, in my mind at least, is mindsets. And uh, really there are five aspects of it that came through to me. The first part of it was the development of an inquiring mindset. And you talked about the fact that there are problems, that every business faces problems, no matter how big or small it may be. And there are root causes of these problems that are oftentimes hidden and they're not easy to see. And people are busy and they don't have time to look. But the key to solving those problems is to have an inquiring mindset where you actually plunge deeply into it, maybe with help, and uh, and start to uh, uh, start start to understand what the real problems are, so that you can do something about solving them and looking for the best solution. So the inquiring mindset. The second thing was about an abundant mindset or a mindset of abundance, and you talked about. Some people have a scarcity mentality and they don't want to trust other people because they think they're in competition with everybody. But in fact, the reality is that if you're in a good business, you're in an, in an area of growth, there's a lot of opportunities out there for people. And so rather than hold your cards too closely to your chest, it's better to have an abundant mindset and and, and look on the positive, optimistic side of, of, of the growth. The third, uh, the, the last three are all to do with growth mindsets, but in different areas. I heard you talking about the personal growth mindset, and you talked about the balance between arrogance and humility and um, the idea that the business is worth doing and you have to have that sort of self-confidence, self-assurance that you're doing the right thing and in the right place but also the humility to say that I don't know everything and I can't do it all on my own and I do need help, I do need to be open to that. And the balance of these things is what you talked about, having an equal balance of these things. The second area of, uh, of mindset that I heard you talk about had to do with a cultural mindset. And this is the, 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 the kind of creation of, a, of an organisational culture that people want to be a part of, that people want to work in, they feel accepted, they feel happy being there, they feel cared about, and they want to stay and they want to be productive. And uh, leaders need to be very much aware that that's a necessity. And then the fifth thing that I heard you talk about uh, was the professional growth mindset, that there there is still benefit in rubbing shoulders with people, in being present with people, in networking with people and learning from them. You talked about the, the passing on of wisdom. And it's one thing to be able to do a job and to do that well, but it's another thing to learn and to grow and to be in the right place with the right people. And hopefully the right people are there to be able to do that with and a willingness to share that. So these five mindsets I, I is what I heard you say, and I think they're all extremely important things. So thanks for sharing that. 
you know, I think one of the things which when I look back on my career, you know, today, and I, I went straight into corporate, straight out of high school. And as a person trying to work my way up the corporate chain, the key was about being genuinely curious and interested in people and how things worked and, and mm. taking the time to actually understand that. You know, I sat down with the engineers who basically run the internet out of Australia and asked them, so how does this work? And just kept on asking, how does it work? No, I get that, but then how does that work? And, you know, we got down to the ones and zeros conversation so mm. that I understood, okay, I get it, but I, it was building a relationship with some very influential people who had huge networks and taking the time to do that through acquisition of knowledge and, and being voraciously interested and curious. Mm. And, you know, for me, when I opted out of corporate land, I, I was 30 at the time and I was, you know, sitting at a director level. I was the, previous to that, I was the national billing manager for Verizon in Australia in my mid-20s. That only happened because of genuine interest in actually building relationships with people in the small business sector that's how you build a business it's relationship it's not about how many you know how many business cards you ring or how many events you go to it is about actually wanting to know about other people and what they do and, and mm -hmm. reciprocating and building that time and energy into it so whether you're young whether you're older whether you're starting as an entrepreneur you know in your 50s or your 40s or your 20s it's universally true it's just all about relationship that is a fantastic point to end on, Carrie. You've, uh, you've shared some amazing stuff with us today, so thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Humanised Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcasts. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts.